And now, the cleanest hour in podcasting with your host, Ralph Peterson. This is the Housekeepers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housekeepers Podcast. Dare I say the cleanest hour in podcasting, and I'm so super excited for two reasons. One, to welcome my very good friend, Mr. Tim Merch, to the program. How are you doing, Tim? I'm fantastic, Ralph. How are you? I'm doing really well. I can't believe you're on the show. I'm so excited to have you. And number two, the second reason why I'm so excited is because it's Thursday. It's Thursday of EVS Appreciation Week, Environmental Services Appreciation Week. And this is the day, generally speaking, sometimes it's Friday. Sometimes we wait till the last day of the Housekeeping Appreciation Week, the EBS Appreciation Week to roll out the red carpet. But normally it's a Tuesday, I mean, a Thursday when uh, when companies are doing like the biggest thing. What do you guys do? I know you guys got a lot going on for your EBS teams. Are you doing something like every day of the week or is it, you know, like one day, one region? You're a national, so you're probably doing a million things for your yeah, teams. Yeah, uh, it's just a huge part of our culture, which I'll probably spend a lot of time circling back on, but we we can't recognize our team members enough. They're not employees, they're not associates, they're team members. And I constantly promote everybody in our onboarding that they are the most important team members of the entire company because they're the ones getting the job done for us and for our customers. Yeah, I like it. So do you guys, is this a big, it's got to be a big week for you though. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, to to really answer your question, we do it constantly and continuously every day. So there is no no special day this week. It's not a day. It's (laughs) every day. And we make a really, really big deal out of finding team members doing things right. Uh, We've got good works programs. Every compliment that we get, I write a personal handwritten note to that team or team member on that compliment. And then it goes back to them in front of their team. And we try to get customers involved in it too. And I call those emotional bucks and they're priceless. Emotional bucks. I like that. So what we would call that is leadership capital, which is the same thing, right? It's, yeah. the, it's the ability to, it's the money you earn every single day by doing the right things as a manager, or as a leader of an organization. The problem with leadership capital, as you also probably know, is that it's not a one for one ratio. It's more like, 18 leadership capital dollars for one, <laughs> like it, it, you spend it very quickly. You can spend it very quickly, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, this came about in the early 90s when labor market was was tough, not as tough as it is now, but it was probably the toughest that we'd ever faced at that point in time. And I said, you know, no news is good news. The rest is bad. And I said, I was sick and tired of that. And I just wanted to dispel it, turn it upside down and, and just completely be a, a maverick in the industry and find everything that we could positive and recognize all our team members on anything and everything on a constant continuous basis so that's really where we started the good works and the recognition and as i said it's a huge part of our culture company-wide i like it a lot you know i i've been working in housekeeping in the cleaning industry my entire life and this it's kind of this it's not that i'm enjoying it to be clear i'm not enjoying it but it is nice that I have been struggling with staffing my entire career. It's nice to see others sta- struggling with staffing. They're like, it is hard to get staff. It's always been hard to get staff. Yeah, that's, you know, if, it was, if it was that easy, our customers would be doing it themselves, right? It may, so it's always been a challenge and we're blessed to, to have that opportunity. And I always said, you know, pre-COVID, you know, it was, it was a challenge then and there was wage inflation then and 
And then obviously with the supplemental and unemployment uh, paychecks going out, you know, it's literally 10 times worse than it was. And then you had the child care issues, work from home, the comorbidity issues, along with the, you know, single spouse or working spouse, along with the child care, it compounds it. So we've got to be so much more empathetic and yet make ourselves that much more attractive and be the go-to company that people want to work for, not have to work for, but want to work for and enjoy. Yeah, that's it's a great way of looking at a very complicated challenge, for sure. It's my The first book I wrote was called Managing When No One Wants to Work. And everyone at the time when I wrote it and it came out, everyone's like, oh, I need this book because nobody wants to work. And I was like, you're missing the actual point of the book because I work in the cleaning industry and nobody work wants to work in the cleaning industry. So it's not no one wants to work as a blanket statement. It's no one wants to work in the cleaning industry. But <laughs> if you buy the book for any reason, buy the, even if it's just to hold the car so it doesn't keep going forward, it makes a great paperweight, buy the book. Managing when no one wants to work. <laughs> Still available. Tim, on the bestseller. On the bestseller. You are in St. Louis, Missouri. And are you from St. Louis? Is yeah, that from- grew, up, grew up in St. Louis. And um, it's actually kind of a... A neat story. My father had a, a company that he started out of, out of college in the early 50s. Really? And it was janitorial service. And then it was one of the, I think he was the second contract cleaner in St. Louis because everything was in-house in the early 50s. And then grew on to be the largest and ended up, as he referred to it, as making mistake number one, which is selling the company and taking it all in stock. So in 1969, he sold his company, took it all in stock, and the stock was at the company that emerged with was at 24. It was supposed to triple and went down to two and an eighth. So oh, he refers no. to that as stake number one. And then, uh, you know, that's a big, that's a big draw, right? That's a, the whole idea of going public is because you want to reward the people who invest, who created the company, right? So you invest all your top people by going public. And then when it backfires, uh, yeah, no, it was a miserable experience for an entrepreneur that you know, was a depression child. His mother died when he was 14, put himself oh through school, was really on his own. I mean, he was he was poor and then ended up with a, a great company and then just made What was he cleaning? Purchase. What was he cleaning? It was commercial office buildings. Yeah, so class A kind of office. Yeah. office yeah. Okay, okay. And then, then he moved on to what he refers to as mistake number two. Here we In go. In the early 70s, the St. Louis Blues hockey team had uh, come. They had been to the Stanley Cup Finals three years in a row, and hockey was going crazy around St. Louis. Ice rinks were popping up all over. Long story short, he built an ice rink in Columbia, Missouri, which was an absolute financial disaster. And the energy crisis hit. The three enrollments went down there. Yeah, of the late and 70s, right? Mid-70s, late 70s, the gas lines. The, the recession. Oh. So it, it was a mess. And any of the manager stealing them blind in a cash business while the energy meter was spinning. So he ended up selling the nice house in the middle of the recession at that point in time, moved to Columbia, got a turnaround, was breaking even and found a buyer for 50 cents on the dollar. So he was advised to file bankruptcy and he said, over my dead body, he said, you know, credibility to me is the most important thing that a person can have. And he said, I'm not gonna leave anybody hanging out to dry. I don't know how I'm gonna pay him back, but I'm, I'm gonna do it someday. Shortly thereafter, he had one of his former customers come to him and say, uh, we're not happy with your old company that he sold, and they had pretty much wrung it out, and they were going to make a change. They asked him if he was interested, 
And wow. He's 50 years old and really no money at this point in time. And I was a junior in college and playing hockey at that ice rink. We had a really good hockey team. And then I said, you know, growing up in the business as I had previously, I said, I don't see any reason why you, we couldn't do it two or three times better than you did before. And, um, you know, knowing, knowing the business as I did. And basically it was a handshake deal that he was my opportunity and I was his IRA. So at the age of 50 with literally zero money, went back in business cleaning three high rises in St. Louis in 30 days. And then I quit the hockey team my senior year, took 23 hours my last semester to graduate and cleaned the building seven days a week and came in and helped out on weekends. So that was the start of, at that point wow. in time, Mitch Merch's Maintenance Management Company, October 1, 1978. So it's a, it's a really neat story. It is a neat story. What was it? What did you do as a kid? Like, what, did you work with him at all when you were a kid, when you were a oh, teen? Yeah. No, I, um, that's back in the days of, of ammonia and 55 gallon drums of it and cutting it into water and about getting knocked out every time you did it. It was <laughs> full strength and use that for, for a stripper. And as compared to, uh, you know, the, yeah, now they have no order. Now. And then we, we uh, same way with now. all the other 55 gallon drums. So I did that. I cleaned windows, took did care you of the warehouse. Did you do any waxing? Did you do any, you know, I don't know how much you got involved, but there was a time where there was a wax where we'd heat up. We had to heat up our wax to yeah. put on the floor. And yeah, yeah. the old uh, Carnot was, you bet. Yeah. So no, I, I literally grew up in the business. And wow. uh, so I knew it. I knew the potential and he had a, you know, a great company. It was just a, um, mistake that you made, you know, taking it all in stock as compared to mm-hmm. taking cash. So uh, that was mm-hmm. the beginning. And I knew the potential and I worked at it as if it was mine, you know, without any stock or any ownership. And my father worked for 10 years and was a unbelievable mentor. He's actually one of the founders and the president of our international association, the Building Service Contractors, BSAAI. And so I grew up, you know, in that, in that world with him uh, basically plowing soil and, and all volunteer blood, sweat, and tears, founding the association with wow. a couple other guys, just because there weren't any resources and everybody was on their own. And the association is what he saw as an educational platform for contractors throughout the country. And, and now it's, it's international and incredibly successful. It's so great. What did your mom do during this whole time? What was she doing? So she was in charge of raising five kids. There you go. Uh, so my pop was a very, very hard worker, as you have to be in this business. And he worked hard and he played hard. So uh, he was very active civically and, and involved in, in a lot of charitable work and, and other activities. He was a, a big sports nut. So uh, she was she got an A-plus in raising five kids. I got two older siblings and then two younger siblings. So you're um, right in the middle. Yeah. Oh, the middle I'm, child. I'm, yeah. The middle child. So does everybody in your family, like does your sisters and your brothers and everybody no, they all work? A, a couple out of town. And so I'm the only, I own the company. And uh, So they don't, they don't work for you or work with no. the family business at all? Correct. Hmm, no kidding. Wow. That's good. You know, it's always interesting to me how people come to this industry and it seems like everybody who grows up in it stays in it. You know, yeah, you, you know, I, I knew, I always, I, I did a, a zillion jobs. I sold tomatoes on the street corner and, and they're great. I sold, you know, greeting cards. I mean, you know, I worked in the barber shop. I, you know, 
you name it. I've, I've done it, you know, growing up. And I like to earn money and, and the benefits of that. So the work ethic was never a question, but I always knew I wanted to do something on my own. But when you're a junior in college, you just don't know quite what that is. So when this opportunity came along, it was just, you know, a blessing. What were you studying in college? What was the initial goal? Business economics. Business econ. Macro or micro? Were you more like finance guy for a business or more global looking? For the way my brain works, it was micro. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) You know what? It's funny. If you want to pick one over the other for business, it's definitely micro. But for, you know, I had had an econ, my econ professor was a guy by the name of Mikhail Maloka who after the semester taught me macroeconomics, went and ran for the presidency of Nigeria. So he was, he wow. didn't win, but he's that guy, right? So, so he really had a way of making macroeconomics just so, I'm going to use a term that people don't generally use for economics and I'm going to use the word sexy. He made macroeconomics, like he just such a fun story, such an interesting way of looking at it. But from a business point of view, it's really not where you need to be. You need to be at yeah, that micro. No, just, just like our industry, a sexy business and sexy industry, but only if you make it that way, right? <laughs> only if you make it that way. Absolutely. And so what year did you start take over or start working with your dad? When, what year was it when you were so a So we started uh, actually be a week and a half, uh, 1978, October 1st. So Wow. Uh, that's when we started up from scratch. We started three high rises in, in one night, which is a major undertaking. And, then, and you uh, were doing the cleaning. And uh, we had basically the HR director and then an operations director. And then my father, they each supervised. And I'd come in and help out on weekends and help out on job starts and things like that. But it was a major undertaking. And when I say a neat story, pretty amazing you know, for a guy that came from nothing, made it, lost it. And then we together were able to to build back up. I think that is one of the greatest stories that I've heard. I love the idea. I love the story that that he failed at it or didn't even fail at it, made a great deal out of it, but then sold it. I remember I worked for a house cleaning company once and you know, they had a really good structure where they were they were paying we were all, you know, independent contractors and we would just go to his house essentially and he would give us our work assignments for the day. And we'd drive around, you know, with vacuums and cleaning material in the back and then, you know, clean houses, whatever. And then he sold the business for something, very little money, but I think he got like 80 grand for his business. He had about a hundred accounts. So it was a nice little lucrative business. And in less than three months, the people who bought the business from him were trying to sell him the business because they completely mismet, like whatever harebrained they thought they could do, they just weren't able to figure out and they lost the business. It's a, a very easy business whatever segment of the industry you're in to get into mm-hmm. very hard to stay, to stay in. and maintain and, and scale. That's exactly right. And one of the biggest challenges that I see is people think they're running, they intend to start a, what they see is a very uncomplicated cleaning business. And at the end of the day, if you're going to scale at all, you're not in the cleaning business at all. You're in the hiring business. You're in the payment business. You're, you're in the invoicing business, you're in the HR business, right? At the end of it is the cleaning. But if you're not running all of that, if you don't have the wherewithal to even get started in hiring employees, managing employees, you know, I talk to people all the time who they're always asking the same questions, which is, how do you get them to work? How do you make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing? How do you get people to work as hard as you work? And it's, 
that's the whole business end of it, right? That's yeah. the whole managing end of it. And people, that's where they struggle the most. How do how do they figure out the scaling part when they, you know, essentially can't even stop cleaning? Right. No, and that's the old adage, you know, working on the business and not in it and surrounding yourself with much, much stronger, more capable people than you are that have the expertise with I, a culture. A million percent. I think the something that we're overlooking in this story that I think is very important is when your dad was approached to start it again by another, by a client that he had previously had, mm -hmm. it was three high rises. Is that accurate? Correct. And what that size of an account does is it immediately makes you scale to a certain level to even be able to service it. And that is something I think when you're looking, when I'm meeting people who are just starting out or have been even doing it for a little bit, but they don't know how to scale is they've never taken on an account big enough that forces them to scale. It makes, it gives them the affordability to scale. Yeah. Well, having the experience, which is invaluable of being in business previously, he knew what his model was going to be. And mm -hmm. in that 30 day window of absolutely scrapping and putting everything together before you know, the 30 day job start, you know, the philosophy was cleaning larger facilities with built in supervision and then overseeing them, supporting them for their success and holding them accountable for the quality and, and standards and then supporting exactly. the, the hourly team members for the results. Exactly. And that you just reiterated again so perfectly a big enough account with a built in management, a big enough for you can afford to have somebody on site. Or even if it's on site as far as just a few campuses in an area, but big enough where you can afford that. I'm going to say third party, but I don't mean third party, but that extra layer of oversight without you being the, that layer of oversight. It's almost like, it's almost like when you, when people buy houses, like they want to become a landlord, the ideal size. I'm going to get this wrong because I'm not one of these people. I just, I'm familiar with the business a little bit, but the ideal size of a apartment building is like eight to 10 units. Eight to 10 units is like the smallest size where you can make enough revenue from the right. rental space to afford an on-site supervisor. Yeah. And that's, so the, that's, that's the tricky part of, of people that start out with, you know, one or two accounts exactly small and then growing because I've done a lot of acquisitions through the years and I've done a, a whole lot in that million to 2 million range. And it's, the owner has hit a wall. They've hit a wall financially because they don't have the cash flow to reinvest in that operations manager or that HR director or that CFO. And then, you know, they've just taken it to that next level. And then they've also hit the wall from a cash flow standpoint in regards to, I call that the first one, the human capital. And then the other one is just, you know, the economics of being able to afford, you know, the accounts on the larger size. So it's, as I said, it's easy to get into, but it's hard um, to stay in and, and scale. And those that do and, and have a very plan, you know, a very strategic plan and very disciplined. And believe me, we I call it failing forward. We've tried every, I mean, you name it, we've cleaned it in, you know, 25 hours a day. And our poor operations team, was, you know, they had to, to live with that. But then we became very, very disciplined and very focused in regards to what we want to go after, the type of business. And, you know, the good, good problem is you have customers that you're cleaning a large account for them, but they also have smaller facilities that they want you to clean. 
Well, therein lies, you know, getting back to you get into area management or district management, what we used to call a route supervisor, and that's overhead. And mm -hmm. those are the, the challenges in balancing that as you continue to grow. And it's constantly reinvesting what with, a good, is, with a good bank. What? No, I agree. What is your ideal space right now? Like, where is your focus? Yeah, we've got, uh, you know, a lot of small accounts, but the ideal, uh, the sweet spot is in that. 250 to 400, 500,000 square foot. And we've got a, a lot of million square foot facilities too. That's kind of the, the idea. Do you, do you have a preference over warehouses, factory, you know, manufacturing, yeah, so it's, it's office really, buildings? It's uh, really about a handful of, of markets. So we grew up in the office building market, whether that be the multi-tenant. And then we, we love the owner-occupied corporate, regional, you know, headquarter type owner-occupied space, and then we do a lot of healthcare, whether it be MOBs or a lot of clinics. We do a lot of education, and we do a lot of industrial manufacturing, and now we're doing senior living. Very nice. Very nice. Senior living is a booming. Yeah, I mean, everywhere you look, they're building them, and the boomers aren't getting any younger, and they got to go somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's that. It is that there's a growth aspect to it, but there's also a very big Talk about an industry that has forever done it themselves. Right. Senior yeah. care is an industry that has forever hired their own staff. It's part of their team. And it is now becoming a very, very, I was going to use the word popular, but a very strategic move on their part to start not only outsourcing the cleaning services, but also the laundry, the dietary mm -hmm. business office has been for the last, I think, 15 years, the number one department outsourced in senior care has been business office, but then yeah. therapy, rehab, dietary, like they're really, if you work in one of these industries, senior care is really looking to outsource, really looking to partner up with some, some strategic partners yeah, out there. That's so. where I, I saw the opportunity with this acquisition and then, and then pursued it heavily. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of the, obviously the housekeeping uh, mm -hmm. in these facilities. And then we do a lot of the laundry also. So, you know, as, as you all know, they're going through the same labor challenges the rest of the world is, and even more so today. So it just creates more of an opportunity. But it's a very specialized market, and it's not something that we could just organically start and grow. That's why I went the acquisition route. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's smart. A lot of that's, you know, there's the two methods, right? Either you come with all the experience, and so you can start from the ground up like your dad did, like he already came with everything or you buy the, either the franchise or, you know, you acquire another company already in that space. So both methods I think work really well. I was just talking to someone who is looking at whether or not they should get into senior care. They own a commercial cleaning company right now. They're doing pretty well, but they're just looking at senior care. And every time we talk, I keep bringing up laundry and he stopped me and he said, you know, you keep saying laundry. We don't want to do laundry. I was like, ah, you kind of have to. If you, <laughs> right. when it comes to senior care, laundry is, it just falls underneath housekeeping. Yep. It's, yep. it's rare to find them separate nowadays. So you, you're going to have to kind of learn the laundry system, which again is a huge learning curve to some, especially if you've yep. never done laundry. So it's, um, you're, you're not just doing, um, you know, you're doing the resident's personal laundry as well as the linens and, and everything else. And I'll tell you when it comes to customer satisfaction, you know, personal laundry is the top of the list when it comes to complaints. <laughs> I would second that. So it's very important. Laundry is, a, laundry is very important. So did you have, you have taken this 
And I'm just so interested in how you actually did this. You've taken this three high rise company to a hundred million dollars. That is, that is not, that doesn't happen accidentally. So what would, how did you, what were like the stepping stones that you were like, okay, here and then here and then here? Yeah. I guess to put it bluntly, I'm a, I'm a futurist, I'm a visionary, I'm a goal Clearly. setter and I'm extremely driven. And I think, you know, another, another part of our culture is we are all very driven. We're all very, extremely competitive. We can compete with each other around here and throughout the company in any way we possibly can. And we call it, uh, who's the lead dog? Because if you're not the lead dog, obviously the view's not, not very good. So uh, we have a lot of fun with that and we make a tough business as fun as possible. But I've always had goals and I've, I've written my goals down. And then obviously you learn and you grow and you utilize resources. Our association has been invaluable to me, the Building Service Contractors Association. I formed um, the National Service Alliance, which is a GPO. It's a, it's a purchasing group. I formed that 25 years ago. So we have tremendous purchasing power on our products and equipment and related uh, services. So I'm always looking over the horizon as compared to looking at the hill and looking at the mountain. I'm always looking at what's what's on the other side and then how do we get there, you know, through that goal setting process and then utilizing those resources to get there. And an association and all that, I call it a lot of big brothers and sisters that have traveled the road before me. Mm -hmm. I don't like inventing wheels, so I'll take their wheel and kind of calibrate it and put my spin on it and my alignment on it and then integrate it into our company. And, and our, our leadership team has uh, been incredibly receptive to that. It's helped accelerate our growth on best practices and what works in, in benchmarking. So you know, we, what, what are your benchmarks? And just pardon oh, me for asking this question. You, and name I, and it, I, you name it, we measure it. No, I appreciate that. that I appreciate it. That completely makes sense. But I mean, you just start the company. And do you have a financial goal in mind? You're like, I want to be a you know a five million dollar company in five years, or do you like, I want to have this many accounts in five years, or is this I want to have this many team members? What were you yeah, first was, uh, driven by? It was it really wasn't headcount. It was really uh, sales goals. Mm -hmm. And when you're a one million dollar company and you look at twelve million million dollar company, I mean that's like that's like the edge of the earth, and you know it's twelve times bigger than you are and oh my gosh and all that but it's all in perspective and it, it's all about you know the, the team and the leadership and the accountability and the responsibility and the expertise so you know the 12 million dollar mark was a, a huge milestone and then how long did it take million. you to get there how many oh boy how I many weeks I, did it take you no i'm kidding how many? <laughs> yeah i wish you know we went from one to, to 12 i would just say it was eight to ten years and then Okay. And then, um, then we went, you know, the 20 was a big mark, the 25, and then we got to 50 in the mid-50s. And we were stuck in the mid-50s for, for a long time. And it was just, we changed our focus a little bit. We, you know, it, it, things just weren't happening. And uh, it was frustrating. You know, we get what, to, what was what was the, was it a, were you not expanding in the right direction? What was the? I think when I say focus, that's when we really refined our discipline on the market segments we want to go after and the type of business we want to go after. And not chasing anything and everything, not chasing bad, bad business that, you know, is a commodity type business. So we want we want true partnerships and it's not a perfect world. You don't get them every time. But of course, we really make it known up front that we're in, it, in the big picture in the long haul for a true, you know, two way mutually beneficial partnership. 
So when we got that, then I, I finally, I heard a gentleman by the name of Peter Diamatis. And I don't know if you've heard of the XPRIZE, but he's a futurist. And I uh, heard him speak, and I listened to him a lot, initially on tapes and then, and then CDs and then now podcasts. And he had uh, a deal, what he calls the moonshot. And I said, that's it. And because I'm always, always, you know, how can we do it better? How can we be more effective? I'm always learning and growing as well as everybody throughout the company. And he explained what the moonshot was in his terminology. And then I took that and made it ours. And I said, all right, we're going to the moon. And we announced this at a strategic planning meeting with all of our regional managers, our executive leadership team. And, and uh, I said, we're going from 50 million to 100 million. And we're going to do it within seven years. And how, here's how we're going to do it. And then everybody put their fingerprints all over it and were part of how we were going to do it. And, and everybody had ownership. And we did that in less than four years. So a seven-year plan, we did it in about three and a half. So a lot of it was organic. A lot of it was the discipline growth. Some of it was acquisitions and then operational sales, along with, we call it corporate sales, where our corporate sales reps are selling. So everything came together. We're all aligned and everything was, was working together in a very synergistic way. That is really, really a great story. I love the idea of getting your whole executive team together and saying, not only are we going to do this, but I want everybody to be motivated to do it. Everybody's going to have a piece of it. Everybody's going to be all in on this. And so with, you know, we're not all just, I'm not going to grow. Everybody's going to grow. And yeah. that is kind of that, again, speaking to the culture of your organization about 4M, that's the culture that even bleeds through now. I mean, I don't work with 4M, never worked for 4M, but it's everywhere. It, when you think about 4M, all you think about is the all-inclusive culture that's clearly kind of like how you even got that 50 to 100 million. It's pretty great. Yeah, we're all very, very, very passionate. When you say all in, that's part of our culture statement. So after Jamie was probably 40 years in business, we didn't have a culture statement. And we spent in a strategic planning meeting I mean, it was hours coming up with just a few key words. And it's an exceptional family, not good, not great, not wonderful, not outstanding, but absolutely exceptional family because we are all family. We are like lockstep. We are foxhole buddies. And then we're all in. And you mentioned all in just a, a few minutes ago, not kind of in, not sort of in, but we're all in all the time. And then we're driven to win. And that gets back to that competitive nature who doesn't like winning? Everybody loves winning. Everybody loves being a part of a winning team. And when you foster that and you lead that and, and you recognize that constantly and continuously, for some strange reason, it all comes together and, and works. But we have a lot of fun. Yeah, I am. I too am super competitive and I really appreciate the competitiveness of any organization. And I know that it motivates me more than anything else. Winning, winning, winning. It's what it's all about, man. Uh, we got departments <laughs> that compete with one another. We've got regions that compete with one another. we got divisions that compete with one another. So it's fun. Yeah. You know what's fun is the, the opportunity it affords to do a little chop busting, right? That's the fun part. And I'm pretty good at doing this too. Just <laughs> stirring the pot. I like it. <laughs> I was doing a tour with a facility and they had this big sales goal. And the sales goal was actually on DSO of all things. It was collections. So they were trying to get their DSO down. Very important as you Very can. <laughs> I know I don't have to tell you DSO is uh, you know, kind of like the bread and butter at some point. 
And so their sales team, they have this big board. And again, I'm just touring and I'm just meeting with some of the, some of the VPs there. So I'm not in it, but I'm just looking, I'm observing. And so there's a big board and it says, you know, I think they were at, uh, you know, I'm not mentioning the company, so it's good because they would not want this out. I think they were like 47 days DSO, which is a, that's a lot of days, you know, with some money. That's a lot of days. It used to be unheard of to be more than 30 days, but now, I mean, I know companies are closer to 90. If you're in like the food service, it can be really challenging, but they're like 47, I think days at DSO and their goal was to be under 40 and, and every, I guess they were doing it by quarter or or they were going to do it by the quarter. So they had like numbers that they were getting down. So you'd see 47, it was crossed out and they were at 46 and it was crossed out. And, you know, they got down to like 41 and then they were having a pizza party. And one of the VPs that were with me stopped the tour to go yell at them for having a pizza party because they were having a pizza party celebrating their hard work, but they didn't meet their goal. So like he was almost taking the pizza from their mouth. Like who told you to have a pizza? You didn't meet the goal. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> Hopefully they hit it. Yeah, that's the kind of that's the kind of chop busting I appreciate. You there know, you go. It's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Gonna go take the pizza away. No, no, you're not you didn't even meet your goal yet. No, no we actually had a report comes out twice a twice a month and it's it ranks scores the regions and the divisions in regards to DSO and it's a uh, zero to thirty and 31 to 60, 61 to 90, 91 plus, and that column's red, and you better not be in the red. So, Yeah, you know, I, I talked about this a little bit before, but I worked for a commercial cleaning company that serviced healthcare for a long time, more than a decade. And one of the best things I ever did was at some point I decided I was going to volunteer for anything and everything, just saying yes. And so I had a friend who was, who was in the finance department, and he would go, hey, I got to come to your area and do some collections, you want to go? And at first I would be like, this last thing I want to do is go into collections, you know, go meet with clients and try to finagle, you know, see what we can do about getting paid more readily, you know, than we were getting paid. But I was under that, I was just like, I'll do it. I'll just like to learn best education I ever got was, you know, because at the time I was selling healthcare and I wasn't collecting. Yep. When you get the idea of both sides, boy, it changes the way you sell. It's no different than a salesperson and, a, and an operator. A million percent. They better work in operations while well, uh, respect what they're selling. You know, it's funny you say that because I completely agree. I I got sell the it more effectively. I got the opportunity to start working with, and this is kind of how I got into what I do now. I got the opportunity to start working with new salespeople who are coming into our industry because we were growing and they needed more salespeople, but they had no cleaning experience, so they had no operational experience at all. They didn't know how to do workloading, how to do job routines, how to, you know, even do the math on a PPD, which is per patient day, which is how we Mm -hmm. measure in senior care. So all senior care is based on per patient day. So that's PPD, but they didn't, they didn't know any of that. So I found myself creating these programs to onboard these new salespeople who had great salesmanship. They were great. You know, they were really savvy in sales, but they had no operational experience. And I just loved it. I just fell in love with the teaching aspect you know, to teach in the operation side so that you can get the sales side. I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's one really of our, smart. our goals is development. You know, we've got six corporate goals and obviously one's sales. And then we've got the metrics assigned to that. And then we've got profit and the metrics assigned to that with the goal. And then customer service, you know, with account retention being greater than 97% is our goal. And then we've got innovation, constant, continuous improvement. And then we've got development. 
and development and then obviously safety excellence and they're they're in no order you know it's just six goals that's how i read them off but development is you know attracting developing and retaining world-class team members and we can't do enough of the development whether it's you know the, the labor challenges that we're facing now or you know 15 20 30 years ago and one of the things that you know, again i learned the hard way is you know, we promoted a lot of people hard work and great great team members i mean committed to can come and, and um, it was just beyond them. And it, it was the Peter principle and it, no fault to them, but we set them up to fail. And, you know, they didn't have the skill set, the managerial skill set and the, the entire package. So, you know, we, we continue to promote people from within, but we do a lot of assessments. We do a lot of internal training and a lot of, we call it, you know, development programs to help them. And we got one that's called Lead 360. So we identify people out there that want to grow and learn and sky's the limit. I mean, we've got team members that start out on the floor crew and they're running, um, you know, they were region of the year last year out of 10 regions company-wide. So it's pretty neat. But then there are also, you know, very, very talented managers out there that you can teach the business and you can teach them pretty quick because if they're sharp, they're smart, Mm -hmm. they're going to pick up what we do very, very quickly. And uh, Mr. Fitz, who you're going to be visiting with next week, is a perfect example of that. 24-year career in, um, Marine in the Corps. Marines yeah. and incredibly brilliant and bright, intelligent guy. And he learned the business. He knew what he needed to do when he stepped into his division executive vice president role before he even started. I think, you know, beyond beyond a labor shortage in our industry, beyond the labor shortage in any industry, you know, all over the world, there is a true shortage of people who are both willing to be responsible, take a leadership position and able, you know, capable. I think leadership is the one, one career choice or the one, the one industry as an industry, say leadership as an industry or management as an industry. It's the one that everybody suffers from. Everybody suffers from poor leadership. And it's yeah, got to be one are, of the. We, I stress we're all in a leadership role. It's not me, and you know that's where I stress. You know, kind of reiterating the most important team members are those hourly team members, and we're all here to support their success. Mm-hmm. And because it's the account manager, it's the district manager, it's the area manager, it's the regional manager, and then all of our we call it internal customer support. We're all aligned where we're supporting each other for everybody's success, mm. and that's that's. You know, it's it's nobody in, in the spotlight. Everybody's, you know, moving and I call it, you know, moving in the right direction in alignment. And that increases your velocity. We had a executive conference. It was a CEO conference in our industry. It was probably 10 years ago. And Steve Crane, my president, and I were visiting with some larger contractors at that point in time. And we were just heck bent on leather on getting the hourly team members aligned with our vision, mission, goals, and values and everybody said, you're barking up the wrong tree. You're nuts. You know, you're crazy. And I said, that's all I needed to hear. I said, <laughs> that means nobody else all. is doing it. Don't, don't good. tell me we, we can't. And Steve's the same way. Don't tell him we can't. And I'm telling you what, you know, we've got, you know, we over communicate things. We're in touch with the team members and we're constantly messaging. And yeah, 16 states, 4,000 team members. You know, it's a lot of geography and a lot of sites and all that. But there is a way to make that team member understand how important they are. And when I say how important, I tell them personally, think what this facility would look like if you didn't show up for a week. 
I mean, it would look like Berlin after the war. I mean, the expressions on their face, it just registers how important they are. And I said, that's just the cleaning. Think about the sanitary aspects. Think about what you're doing to stop the, the spread of, of germs and disease and influenza. This is before COVID. You know, this is before all that protocol, which is a whole other story. But you can see them. It just elevates them. And they feel so proud. You know, I'm just not a restroom specialist or a floor tech specialist or a general cleaning specialist. It is, it is a big challenge to, it's a big challenge to work in the cleaning industry. It's an even bigger challenge to admit you work in the cleaning industry. Sometimes it's, it can be, it can be an embarrassing industry to work in. And it's, it's not because of the, the trying that you or I might have been doing over the last 30 years, trying to make it so that it is not, not all that. uh, Well, let's face it, we're janitors, right? We're housekeepers. So I was at a, a very nice dinner last week with some business executives. And uh, one of the guys, I knew of him, and he's, he's kind of a big dog around town and a big insurance guy. And he says, so what do you do, Tim? And I said, I'm a janitor. <laughs> and I absolutely love the look on their face. And I, I'll never change my answer. And they, you know, they cock their head over to the side and, and they kind of, I mean, it gets them back on their heels. And then I might help them along and explain things a little, little differently. But that's, it, that's what we do. And we're passionate about it. We love what we do. And uh, now we're essential, right? The past 18 months, we're looked at completely different. And uh, I think the respect there for what we do in regards to health, sanitation, safety, and what we sell is peace of mind. I mean, we are selling people safety and peace of mind. You know, I had a, a lady on from southern France, and she's a what they call a hotelier. So a cleaner works professionally in, in the hotel industry in southern France. And she grew up in Rome, not Rome. Where did she grow up? She grew up in Italy. And I think she has one of the greatest perspectives on the cleaning industry because she says she grew up in an outside, an outside museum where every, you know, where she grew in the town she grew up in Italy. Everything, Florence, she grew up in Florence. So everything in Florence is historic. Everything <laughs> is historic. You know, so not just the inside of the buildings, but also the outside of the buildings. Oh, the whole city's a museum. So the entire city, right. So it's this outdoor museum. And so she grew up understanding that cleaners don't clean, cleaners care for. And I mean, what a beautiful way of putting it, right? It's not just clean and dirty. We're not picking up after you because you missed the garbage can. We're caring for facilities. We're caring for senior care facilities. We're caring for offices. We're caring for schools. We're caring for churches, for so stadiums. Think about it. We're stewards. And yeah. we are serving. We're serving our customers. And we're serving the tenants. We're serving the, the uh, residents in senior living facilities. We're serving the mechanics and the plant workers and the industrial manufacturing facilities. So that's what we do. So, I mean, when you look at that and taking that, that responsibility to serve and doing it your absolute best, you know, and not doing it kind of and not doing it sort of and doing it world-class and the absolute best people, again, that gets back to being part of that, that winning team and really feeling good about what they do why they do it and knowing the tangible results that they provide. And when you can't see it, those are the tangible results. That's right. That's right. It's a great way of putting it. I'm so, I'm so excited to meet somebody who is equally as passionate about the culture 
of the organization because, you know, like I was saying, it can be a little embarrassing to say that you work in the cleaning industry. And I appreciate you never for never taking that stance. I really never. No, when you talk about culture, I just see, you know, I, I picked this up several years ago. I read it a couple of times a month and I share it with our team on a regular basis. And it's actually part of our, our onboarding. And uh, the leader is the one that must drive the culture. And it's your most important job as a leader to drive the culture, not just any culture. You must create a positive culture that energizes and encourages people, fosters connected relationships and great teamwork, empowers and enables people to learn and to grow and provides an opportunity for people to do their best work. Culture is just not one thing. It's everything. Culture drives expectations and beliefs. Expectations and beliefs drive behaviors. Behaviors drive habits, and habits create future. So it all starts with the culture you create and drive throughout the organization. And that's where all success and great results begin. And when I read that, it's just like, wow, it's almost everything that we we live and breathe and do every day. And somebody wrote it for me. And uh, I mean, it was I wouldn't change one thing about it. I like it, too, because it has an intentionality to it. Culture is not something that happens to your organization. Well, it's like I talk about certain things. I, I use a lot of analogies. It's like friendships and credibility. You don't get it. You have to create it and earn it through experiences. You know, I wish we had more time because I would love to, I'm going to have to have you back on because I would love to, I would love to pick your brain about there's a clash that sometimes happens in our industry where and it depends on it depends on where you're cleaning. So, you know, it doesn't happen to all of us, but there's a time when our staff are working side by side with another staff, another company. So, our company is having to work side by side with another company and the culture sometimes don't exactly clash, but you can definitely see the struggle if one culture is based on excellence and one is based on, you know, we're just going to get through the day. Those are clearly different cultures, different yeah, focuses. It, it, yeah, it gets back to the old want to versus have to. Mm-hmm. But it can be quite a challenge if you're trying to hold, maintain some level of excellent standards and you're working in a side, another company that even, even you know, I'll take it to even like this, where if you have a vendor who provides cleaning chemicals or cleaning supplies or something like that. And they don't, you know, they're not providing excellent service to support you. It, it yeah. becomes a challenge. No, we hold our, we call them supply partners. They're not vendors and not suppliers. They're supply partners because they support our success. And we, have, we sit down with all of them twice a year and it's a couple of days every six months and they're all day meetings. And we have a scorecard for them. And we have metrics for them. We have accountability factors for them. And we hold them accountable for bringing us the latest, greatest, most innovative solutions because we are 4M building solutions, right? We're in the solutions business. We're in the people business. And we want the latest, greatest, best practices, equipment, supplies, chemicals, process, systems. And when you look at our our 4M vision, mission, goals, and values, innovations in there all over the place. So we hold them accountable. They can't walk in the door without, they know what they need to bring us aside from, you know, going over, you know, the past history. That's super great. Now, 
Right before we get out of here, and, and I got to say, I really appreciate you being on to me. I, yeah, I really it's, a, it's all about giving back. It's all about serving. It's all about sharing. Yeah, and it's all about highlighting this industry and people like you who are behind it, who clearly exemplify what it takes to be a really good cleaning business owner. Really, 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 really impressive. But you said about, oh, I don't even know what the time frame is. Maybe I'll say 20 years ago. Maybe it was even sooner than that. You decided you were going to shoot for the moon. Well, nowadays, everybody's shooting for Mars. So what's the bigger, even bigger goal? Yeah. Like, where are you so headed I, now? As I said, uh, it was probably five years ago. We were, we were stuck at 50, 55. And so we're going to the moon and we're going to do it in seven years. We did it in about three and a half. Now let's go to Mars. So let's do it. So as we are hitting the lunar orbit, getting ready to, to land on Mars, we had already formulated our Mars shot vision and our Mars shot. And we have a lot of fun with that. So we touched down and we had a, a nice celebration and then it was off to Mars. So Mars is <laughs> one, 150. 150. So, so you're still sticking in the, in the financial realm, which is really great. Do you have any other metrics that you're you're at 4,000 employees now. Yeah, you, so we have scorecards. We have scorecards for everything. And, it, and it's, it's just very, very, very important from an accountability standpoint, as well as knowing what people are accomplishing and them feeling great about where, you know, what they are accomplishing and what they're being held accountable for. So as I said, we've got our, our corporate scorecard with, with sales and profit and customer retention, innovation, development, and safety. And by the way, we're, you know, just a, can't value what you can't appreciate. And I tell customers this. We've won the BSEAI Safety Award 24 out of 25 years for the large company. So that's best in class. So it doesn't happen by accident. I mean, no pun on words there. But it's we work hard at it. And we lead it every day company-wide. And my email says, have a great and safe day. So there's positivity and there's safety. Every email. I do out. know, just as a sidebar, I apologize, Tim, but I know as a sidebar, the number two cost generally speaking, in our industry, aside from labor, labor is usually our number one cost, but our number two cost is usually workers' comp. So for 24 out of the 25 years of being safety-driven, that's got to be a nice little workers' comp reduction. It's you nice. bet. And I like that a lot. You know, experience mod factor, right? So, mm -hmm. so we, we measure different categories, all of our regions and districts based on profit improvement, growth improvement, retention, OSHA, claim activity and we've got a lot of metrics on those lost pick trr rate and then eeoc with hr mm. we've got account manager and field manager scorecards that are, are tied to labor non-labor expenses sales our customer partner reviews we do a quarterly customer partner review it's like a business review we tell our customers what our turnover is we tell them we report to them all the complaints and make sure we're in sync on that it's full disclosure we're, you know, we're providing I, innovative solutions to them so they can value things that we're bringing to the table that are, I call it behind the curtain. Mm, very our, smart. Our quality scores, we're sharing all of our inspection scores with them, report to customers what we're finding, and then obviously you get into all the safety. And then the best day of the year in our company is the annual awards celebration. And I call when it, is uh, this? I call it the love fest. So we do it every spring because nice. it's after year ends closed and we got everything figured out on who the lead dogs are in every category. So we've got the all in driven to win region of the year. We've got the all in vision, all in driven to win division 
of the year, Top Gun sales champion. We've got the Platinum Club sales leaders. We've wow. got Driven to Win account and field manager sales award, and then the district management sales award. We've got the regional manager sales award. We've got the account field manager of the year award with all of their metrics that I just shared with you. And then internal customers. So there was a big missing piece for years. And I said, you know what? You're not supporting those that are serving the customer. If you're not servicing the customer, you better be supporting those that are. And that's our internal customer support team company-wide. So we developed criteria and and scorecards for them. And they have a, a very nice lucrative bonus peel, pool based upon their peer scores. So everybody's in it to win and everybody's shared. And then we've got uh, a Mitchell and Merch Senior, 110% Team Member of the Year Award. And then we've got the All-In Hourly Team Member of the Year Award. And, and when I talk about it, it's my favorite year, day of the year, you know, when you can celebrate that. And then we nominate our Team Member of the Year to the BSCAI, Building Service Contractors Association International, for their award. And we've won six times. And I don't think anybody else has won more than two or three. So it just typifies, you know, the the recognition and type of team member that, you know, represents forum that we're very proud of. And then you get into all the, all the safety awards, which are, are numerous, but again, it's I'm a big it's fan fun. of that safety award. <laughs> and we, we share the data on a, a monthly and bi-monthly and, and then we have fun with it as I'm stirring the pot and, and um, you know, kind of poking some, some folks and, it's very gratifying. It really is. When, when you see everybody grow and improve and uh, their competitive nature, working as a team and then sharing as a team as they compete one another, you know, supporting each other for greater success. I think one of the one more thing that I'd like to highlight that you kind of just said and kind of you said a few times, but kind of glossed over and I just don't want it to be missed is how transparent you are. And you just reminded me again, when you talked about sharing your staffing challenges with your customers, there was a long time when I never would have done that. Well, I was like holding it close to my vest and it caught up to me, of course, because I'm not able to provide the service that I'm supposed to because I was having staffing challenges. Yeah. If it's high, we want to let them know. And it may be our fault. We may have a bad manager, but we may be under market in regard to wages. We got to get that on the table. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember having one of my customers come to me and say, you need to tell me because I can help. And more of them say that than not. More of them. Nobody's wishing for you to not to succeed. You know, I think so many people are conditioned that, you know, they're going to get pounded for bringing it up. Well, that's not the case. You know, we're partners. It's true. I was cleaning a, I was cleaning a daycare center and the daycare center it was an adult daycare center. So senior care, but adult daycare center. And so they had rows of tables with loose chairs and they didn't have a lot of chairs, but they had enough because a lot of the a lot of the seniors came in on wheelchairs, but there was enough chairs and I was having a staffing issue. And I remember the owner coming in and saying, what can we do to help? How can we make it easier for you? You know, And I said, I just put in this simple request. Can you have at the end of the day, have your team put the chairs on the desks? It would make it easier for us to do the, to do the floors. You know, like a million that saved, you know, it saved us an hour, hour and a half a day. And it was a nice calling card because then they came in and they see all the chairs down. They knew we were there, yep. right? Which is getting credit sometimes one of the biggest challenges for us in That's the cleaning good, business good as partner. well. Really good partner. Involving, involving them in solutions. Mm-hmm. It, again, just to reiterate, 
you keep saying it, not directly, but indirectly, transparency has got to be one of your superpowers. It, you, know, you just keep saying how transparent you are, not only with your, with your customers, but with your staff, with your team, with your sales team, with every aspect. It's transparent, transparent, transparent. And I think that is the only way to build an effective organization. Yeah, I bet it was 35 years ago, sitting in the same conference room I'm sitting in now, and we shared financials with our operations team. And they thought we were hauling it off and Brinks trucks, you know, just every day. And they were absolutely looking at their, their jaw drop. It was like, wow. And it was very eye-opening. So that proved a point. And then, like you say, I think people are very, very hesitant and guarded. But all of our our managers, they are entrepreneurs. They run their own book of business. We support them with systems, processes, expectations, and obviously, you know, the accountability in regards to the, what's expected on the scorecards. But when they have that sense of ownership, they're managing their, their book of business. They know what their budgets are. They develop them and they're approved. It just completely changes the way that you operate because they're not operating in the dark. I mean, okay, everybody used to just do, okay, here are your budget hours. You know, here's your supply budget. Well, no, we take it all the way down. It's super important to do that because that is, yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges most organizations are facing right now, or probably have been facing forever, is that here's the question, how do you get a new employee in the door who has not only the desire to grow in the organization, but also some ability how do you get them from day one to day, however long it's going to be, three years, five years, to a senior level position yeah. without losing them, without giving them so much that they fail so big that it's unrecoverable, but not, you know, but not holding the reins so tight that they don't fail at all, right? Like it, there's this balancing. And I know oh, a yeah. lot of organizations are, it's a conversation piece for sure. No question about it. Mm. And then, uh, you know, and I think it all starts with the onboarding and a very, very effective onboarding painting that picture, explaining the expectations, explaining the opportunities. And um, as I say, sky's the limit. It's again, one of the, one of the interesting things about working in senior care, like I do, and I know that you do as well, is that if you work for a senior care facility and you're the executive housekeeper, you're at the top, you can't go any further. But if you work for a company, a commercial cleaning company like ours, Services that you can, the district manager, the regional training manager, the regional manager, right? The, the layer does not stop. You can continue to grow and grow and grow, which is a, just a nice plug for those of us who service long, you know, senior care. <laughs> yeah, or, or any any of the, you know, the market segments. I mean, that's the beauty of growth and the Absolutely. opportunities for those that are capable and, and want to seize the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah, this engaging. Thank, thank you. I mean, I listen to your podcast all the time and it's, as I say, uh, never stop learning and uh, and growing. And, you know, it just helps me reinforce, you know, my value set with my aspirations and my affirmations on setting goals and the expectations and then constantly messaging those. And then, uh, you know, we, I think just, you know, in closing, we can't celebrate successes enough. I don't Agreed. care how mundane it may seem. It's a big deal to our team members. Agreed. And then constantly continuously embrace change and constantly looking for the next you know, game changers, the innovative solutions, and then surrounding yourself with uh, talent at every level to be the absolute best, to continue that constant, continuous improvement, and then have fun, have, have fun. It's a tough, it's a tough business. It's a tough industry. We're in the people business, but have fun with it and, and recognize those that are deserving. 
Agreed. And there's no better way of capping it off than this is the EVS Appreciation Week. So make sure that you're out there appreciating, even if you have just somebody coming to your home and cleaning your home once a month you know, or twice a month or whatever it is, take some time to appreciate them. One of the best gifts I've ever heard of is you take and what you do for your EVS director or cleaner is get somebody to clean their home. That, my friends, is the game changer. That's how you pay them back. It's like when you work in dietary and they, you know, like every department has dietary to cook them a special meal. What do you do for dietary? You order Chinese, of course. So, <laughs> or pizza. Or whatever. <laughs> get a housekeeper, get a EBS director, get somebody to clean their house. It's a perfect gift. Trust me on that. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Tim Merch from 4M Building Solutions for coming on this podcast. Thank you for your kind words about the podcast. I really appreciate you. I'm super Excited to have you on the show. And I'm super excited to find out what 4M is up to next because I know you guys are just, you guys are dominating. And so it's really fun to watch from the sidelines here. That's it, the Housekeepers Podcast. Please, if you enjoyed today's show, make sure you're sharing it. Make sure you're connecting with, my God, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm so sorry. How do people get a hold of you? How do people apply to 4M? Is it 4MBuildingSolutions.com? What is the website? How do we go yeah. about that? www.4M.com. Go to our website. We've got hiring app on there, and uh, it'll take you right through in many of our 16 states at entry-level positions up to upper upper management. So, And all of you can apply for any state. Just go to 4M, 4-M.com. Correct. Perfect. Thank you. I apologize. I meant to say no, that before. thank you very much. Make sure you check them out on social media. Tim is super active, always recognizing team members on LinkedIn. I'm the most active on LinkedIn. So that's where I'm seeing you, but you may be on Facebook and Instagram. I don't know where. Are you on Twitter? Where are you? <laughs> no, I'm just a LinkedIn guy. All right. So me too. I'm everywhere, but I, I spend the most time on, on LinkedIn. So follow Tim on LinkedIn as well. And uh, you'll see all the great stuff that they get there up to. That's it for us. Tim Merch, Ralph Peterson, the House Kids Podcast. We'll see you guys. That's it, the Housekeepers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. Keep in mind, the best way to ensure that you never miss an episode of the Housekeepers Podcast is by subscribing to the show and following us on social media. For those of you who are more visually stimulated, you can always watch us record the show live each week on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. In fact, we post all of our videos on YouTube, so make sure you are subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you love the show and you want to help us out, please consider writing a review and sharing the show with all your friends and families and colleagues. And if you are looking for more information about today's guest, all of their contact information and the links to their websites are in the show's notes. That's it. Until next time, this has been the cleanest hour in podcasting. I am Ralph Peterson, and I'll see you later. <laughs>